Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C. My guest today is Jennifer Cohn. She's an election security advocate. So guess what we're going to be talking about? (laughs) Before uh, we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. I'm the woman. I don't use corporate backers. I don't have advertisers. It's patrons like you who keep the show going. So I always ask everybody... If you enjoy today's show, please take a look at the About page on patreon.com slash startmeup. You can see you know, who I've interviewed. I, most of the time, I focus on politics. Sometimes I interview actors. No matter what, though, politics always becomes part of a sa- uh, co- the conversation. So, like, for instance, you could sign up for two bucks a month. And then if you want to upgrade later, you can do that. Here's how it works. I do two free shows on Mondays and Wednesdays. I do two patrons-only shows per month. And then I do for $5 patrons, you get the uh, after party, Kimberly's after party. So on Mondays, if you sign up for $4 or less, you're going to get the two free shows and one patrons only show. So a dollar to $4, that's what you get. If you sign up for $5 or more, you get everything. You get the two free shows, you get both patrons only shows, and you get every, after every free show, I do Kimberly's after party, you get each one of those. So that's how it works. And you just visit patreon.com slash start me up. You know, sign up for two bucks. See what you think. I do, like I said, so I, I interview all kinds of people. It's usually fun. Today was a little bit more, we talked about election security. So it wasn't like we were, <laughs> we weren't giggling and cussing. So, <laughs> which is something I'm very fond of. But today this was a little bit more serious. But I think shows like this are incredibly important so that we understand what is what needs to be focused on. In fact, I think that I'm going to do everything I can to get the Biden administration to focus on exactly what Jennifer was talking about, and you're just going to have to listen to find out. Anyway, uh, once again, just patreon.com slash startmeup. You can listen to some old interviews. You can see past guests. You can see my format. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description of every show. I always include my email address, and that can be used in PayPal. You can also find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. So just stop by iTunes, Apple, and please become a subscriber because it's free. Once you're there, if you like the show, please give me a rating and then also a review. I need reviews. Every author, every podcaster needs reviews, especially good reviews, because it's word of mouth. It's people go to the reviews to say, oh, what kind of show is this? What are people saying about it? So you don't have to write a book, just a sentence. Anyway, there's my spiel. Now, please enjoy my conversation with election security advocate Jennifer Cohn. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hi, Kimberly. Nice to meet you. <laughs> it's nice to meet you via podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've watched your tweets for a while, 
and I wanted to have you on. I believe somebody even recommended that you come on the show. And so I was interested in talking to you about some things because you're an analyst, you're an expert on elections. And I saw in one of your tweets, because of course I was going through your feed, that Hillary Clinton even quoted some work you've done. So kudos. That's freaking awesome. Um, but before we get into the questions that I have for you, just would you tell everybody a little about yourself so they, they know who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am an election integrity advocate and I'm also a writer and I'm somewhat recent to election integrity advocacy compared to many people who began around the 2000 presidential election between, uh, Al Gore and George Bush. Mm -hmm. Many people started back then. I awoke to the issue at, at the 2016 election, and um, I'm also an attorney. I practiced law for about 23 years. Wow. I was a partner in a law firm. My specialty was not elections. It was uh, it was insurance coverage and uh, appellate law, which oddly enough ended out translating the skills ended out sort of translating to this type of advocacy. Hmm. So what happened was I was no longer working as an attorney. Um, I'd say for about three years before the election, I was pretty much, I had burned out and I was pretty much done with my law career and I was just being a happy mom. Hmm. And I have two two boys. And then the election hit and someone asked me if I had time to research uh, the voting machine, I wow. think the audit laws or something. And I discovered pretty quickly that what the Election Assistance Commission and Comey and others were telling us wasn't true about election security, Mm -hmm. involving such sort of basic facts as they would tell us that we didn't have to worry about remote hackers because Hmm. the voting machines supposedly never connect to the Internet. And then I would hear really esteemed IT experts from, you know, universities like Princeton and University of Michigan say that that really wasn't true or that it was very misleading because even if the voting machines themselves don't connect, they all have to receive programming mm-hmm. before every election hmm. from systems that often can and do connect or that receive updates from systems that can and do connect. Yeah. And then on top of it, some of the voting machines, in fact, it turns out some of the ballot scanners um, actually did connect to the Internet wow. in 2016. And so that hooked me early on, and I started researching the vendors, and I ran into things like you know, convicted um, embezzler, mm-hmm as a senior shareholder at a, at a large vendor Great. as of 2010. <laughs> and I got really hooked in, and it occurred to me that I didn't think that many enough people knew about this. So I actually tried to get some of the larger organizations to do what I ended up doing, which is use Twitter to inform an, a lot of people that no one was really guarding the election security mm-hmm. henhouse, that we'd assumed somebody was and they weren't. They mm. weren't vetting the vendors, wow. and we were being lied to. And they, they just really didn't do it. So finally, I just kind of dip my toe into it and started writing about it more and more. And where my legal background translated was in uh, being able to do sort of long chronologies with sourcing and quoting, which is just credibility is really important in this area, not to overstate Mm -hmm. what you can show. (laughs) And it caught on. And then um, I started writing about it. And a few media publications asked me to write articles for them as well. And that's what happened. Wow. So let me, uh, you know, I, I, I want to ask you about what's happening currently, but just going back to 2016, I had a friend who was working in Florida with Hillary Clinton on her campaign, and they were absolutely positively sure she had won. And then, of course, the news came down and she didn't. And my friend has no proof or anything like right. that, but is absolutely convinced that the numbers were changed 
whether it was the total vote count that was given that was changed or individual machines. And we were told, obviously, that that didn't happen. But there are a lot of people who feel that it really did. And I'm just wondering what your feel. I mean, obviously, you can't prove anything or, you know, but what does your gut tell you with 2016? Um, well, so I, I, I don't really talk about what my gut tells me or I try, I try not to <laughs> for the same reason that I think it was inappropriate for Trump supporters to run around screaming fraud if they couldn't prove it in court. Yes. But um, I will say this, that that according to a book written by David Scheimer called Rigged, uh, Russian actors actually were in a position to change vote tallies in wow. some places. What I think this meant, sort of reading between the lines, um, I, I, I initially when I read that, I thought it meant that the, that the intelligence community had seen Russians in some, inside the, the county tabulation systems that, that compile precinct totals. Mm -hmm. But when I kind of thought about it more, what I think it might be a reference to is things like the, the precinct scanners that did connect to the Internet so that it, it, it would have opened a pathway hmm. to anyone wanting to mm -hmm. um, hack voting machines remotely. And um, Florida was one of those jurisdictions wow. where I think many, as I understand it, many of its precinct ballot scanners connect to the Internet. And cybersecurity journalist Kim Zetter did a big expose on that. She did several, actually. Uh, who, what, why, as early as December 2016, was reporting that in Wisconsin that the ballot scanners were connecting. And I want to emphasize something, by the way, that what they had found was ESNS is America's largest voting machine vendor. And those were the ones that were, they were actually found to have their receiving end county systems, election systems connected to the Internet um, even a few years ago, just a few years ago. So whereas the Trump supporters are all focusing on this one one vendor selectively dominion voting mm -hmm. they're being very careful to carve around esns and um that has me very concerned because anybody who's really concerned about election integrity doesn't doesn't carve around one yeah. vendor versus the other they're right. they're kind of all problematic but if you were going to pick on one the the most glaringly so is esns right. and anyway their systems were connected to the internet in florida and the big problem with our election system the big glaring hole is it doesn't let you it doesn't let the public or even really the campaigns in a very easy meaningful way get access to the evidence which is the machines um because the software is considered proprietary to the mm -hmm. private vendors wow. and then you can't do it's very difficult to get manual audits or manual meaningful manual audits or meaningful manual recounts in mm -hmm. florida they don't actually allow it's not part of their law to their their audits are conducted by machine which can't detect hacking and then their recounts they only the only part of it that they do manually is the paper ballots rejected by the machines which is not that big of a universe so we don't know that's <sighs> the honest truth is we don't know if the totals were changed right. in 2016 or wow. this election or really any right. election for that matter but you you look for red flags and mm -hmm. things like significant deviations from the exit polls which we had in florida in 2016 the deviations have yeah. almost always seem to favor the republican party um i consider that a red flag i do not consider it proof by any means right. but just what we had then yeah. was deviations that that certainly you know you have democrats predicted to win by the polls and the exit polls and then republicans surprisingly winning yeah whereas in 2020 you have the gop complaining but even you know, all of the pre-election polling predicted that Trump would lose. Mm -hmm. So they don't have 
I think it was much more concerning in 2016, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And we have Democrats who are so concerned about not um, doing anything sensationalistic mm-hmm. that they almost they don't even do their basic due diligence. Yeah. And then you have the Republicans in 2020 who don't also don't do due diligence, but they're just they're sensationalizing everything without mm-hmm. with just really flimsy. Um, I don't I don't want to call it even evidence. They're just flimsy claims. Yeah, um, and that brings us to the lawsuits that's that are happening. Uh, as, you know, I mean, obviously they're not working. Trump isn't getting anywhere with suing and trying to change the, you know, whether it's bringing in electors or whatever he's trying to do is not working. And I'm just wondering, what do you make of this? And what, I mean, do you think that his goal is just to keep us... Or, or, or I should say, well, let me go back. Let me go back. Um, I'm trying to remember. And, of course, I can never remember names. But there was uh, Ed Norton. Ed Norton did a thread recently. I don't know if you saw it. But he, he thinks that Trump's actions right now are of a desperate man trying to stay out of jail. And a lot of people, like me, have assumed part of his, his reasoning for these lawsuits is to keep his base riled up and ready to fight for him. I don't even know what's going on, but just obviously as elections expert or advocate, uh, mm-hmm. what do you make of these lawsuits? Why do you think he's doing it and what can happen? I mean, I don't think we're worried at this point that he's going to be able to steal this election anymore. For a while, people were worried about it, but I don't think that's really the concern anymore. But I mean, but I what here's what I do see. I see a lot of conservatives whenever... Uh, you know, Pennsylvania gets certified or something like that. They say, oh, well, that's okay. That's what, that's the way that it works. And then now we're going to move to the Supreme Court. So the conservative voters that I'm seeing online think that that's what the goal is, is to move this all to the Supreme Court. So what, what are your thoughts on all of this stuff? Um, you know, I will be nervous until Biden is sworn in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was some kind of ruling today to stall the certification yes. in Pennsylvania just yeah, a few minutes that. ago, I think, or yeah. an hour ago. I don't know. I'm going to have to wait to see, you know, people who've read the papers. I, I haven't read any of the papers, um, whether this is cause for serious concern or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, they're trying to muscle their – I would not rule out that he's actually trying to still steal it mm-hmm. through muscling people and bribing people and mm-hmm. blackmailing people and threatening people behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And that concerns wow. me. Um, so – but I think primarily – well, I think that is part of his goal is actually to try to still overturn it, whether mm-hmm. it's, that's realistic or not is something else. But mm-hmm. I, he lives in his own world to an extent. Yeah. Um, but I also think that he is a master of manipulating the court of public opinion, mm-hmm. and this is something that the Democrats are terrible at and do not take seriously enough. Mm-hmm. And I think he has succeeded there. That the vast majority, as I understand it, maybe depending on the poll, a significant number of the Republican Party, if not the vast majority, depending on the poll, thinks that the election was rigged against Trump, which mm-hmm. is outrageous. Yes. Um, because, again... If anything, it's the Democrats who should be sounding the alarm because he actually did much better than the polls predicted. Mm-hmm. He kneecapped the Postal Service by putting in his own Postmaster General mm-hmm. who had donated – I don't want to get the numbers wrong. I could have sworn it was something like $700 million to wow. Trump's um, – to his inaugural committee or 
in any event, he's a he's a Trump mega donor, mm-hmm. Louis DeJoy, who um, stalled the postal deliveries in particular in the in the battleground states toward the end there there was like a 10 percent difference in the delivery rates in the battleground states toward the end according to the washington post compared to the non-battleground states which seemed almost surgical no one's really talking about that you also have real concerns about some of the house losses and senate losses Mm -hmm. by which i mean these are unverified outcomes that really defied expectations so there were something like at least 17 toss-up House seats, and they almost, with one exception, they all went to the GOP, which is not proof of anything, but statistically concerning and warranting some due diligence, such as, um, you know, comparing precinct totals to reported totals for those precincts to make sure nothing changed at the mm-hmm. county. Um, but the Democrats just don't do that, and right. um, so you have them not saying anything about being concerned about, oh, sort of overstating the security of the election system because they don't want to undermine confidence in public institutions, mm-hmm. and then Trump making really baseless, frivolous claims that gin everybody up to thinking that he's the one who was robbed. And it's just a really difficult dynamic to navigate, especially as an election integrity advocate, to see real vulnerabilities. So what, what mm-hmm. the GOP is saying that is real is the, vul- the vulnerabilities are real. Partisan ties are a problem, but they are cherry-picking the vulnerabilities and cherry-picking the partisan ties. Mm-hmm and conveniently omitting a very key fact, which is that the Democrats actually sponsored legislation called the SAFE Act before the, long before the election that would have required robust manual election audits to confirm electronic results, starting with this election. And they didn't get a single Republican, not one, not one single Republican, to join on to the act. And it was killed mercilessly by the GOP in the Senate. So... Um, they're cherry-picking, focusing only on one vendor, Dominion, which actually broke up another vendor, ESNS's dominance of the market. So ESNS had a 70% dominance of the market in 2010, and the Department of Justice had to intervene and break it up. And that's when Dominion entered the market to buy some of the assets from ESNS. Um, ESNS still has the majority of uh, control over the market, but... I am very concerned that the Republicans are trying to put it back in, trying to put just one vendor out of business, mm-hmm. Dominion, mm-hmm. so that the other one can dominate the wow. market again at 70% domination. And that is very concerning to me, the cherry picking. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't see them even proposing solutions that are meaningful. So I think they've really hijacked tried to hijack anyway the election a, a real yeah. real concerns and weaponize them and turn them into propaganda and mix them with lies and half truths and that's kind of their standard formula um do you have the ear of anybody in congress i did certainly have the ear of one um, significant member of congress mm-hmm. uh, that was a bit i haven't heard from this member since really the pandemic wow and that was you know, around the pandemic, though, everything, really the emphasis switched to vote by mail. Right. Away from the in-person right, voting. Right, and right, a lot right. of what I have written about had to do with concerns with the in-person voting mechanism um, involving s- some new touchscreen voting machines that were selling, ha- that were sold across the country for this specific election. And more recently about the electronic poll book sign-in computers. And that is something that I and, – and the wireless modems that would connect the precinct scanners and receiving end systems to the Internet. And that was mostly about, again, in-person voting. So when it switched to vote by mail, I, I didn't really yeah. have the ear 
I, I think I, I don't know if this person, if this congressperson is still following my account closely or not, but certainly he was. Well, I would certainly hope and wish that you would like tag him or if, if he follows you or something, message him because it's like obviously as a just as a voter, I'm concerned. I, every time you say the word concerned, like I, there's a chill that goes up my spine. I'm like, um, you know, I I'm certainly not the expert here. I don't know much about it. That's all, uh, why I wanted to have you on. But it's also scary to listen to you because it just sh- it just proves how vulnerable vulnerable we are and i and i believe it's extremely important that somebody like you gets the ear of somebody in congress so that you can really make them feel the urgency because what i wanted to also ask you is okay so biden gets in he's mm-hmm. sworn in and now i mean he's got so much on his plate especially with covid but we i think one of the key things, the most important things we have to do right underneath climate is to secure our elections and to make sure that what happened in 2016 never happens again, because I think that there's an absolute possibility that those numbers were changed. You know, again, like you said, you can't prove it, but it, it just all looks very fishy, red flags, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I mean, I think even and I, I'm not sure about this. I saw somebody tweet it, so I don't, I don't know if this is the accurate number, but I believe that it was something like McConnell got 13% uh, approval or whatever it was, like there was 13% chance he was going to win, and, and then he won. So it just it, it's like this really low percentage where he was going to win in the polls, and then he, wi- he winds up winning. And, I mean, look who he is. He's like the most important person in the Senate and who has the most power, I should say. So... Moving forward, like, what do you think Joe Biden, if you were going to be the president of the United States and you were going to, you know, appoint somebody to do something, what would you want that person to do? How, or if you were the one to uh, handle how our elections are held, what would you do to secure them? Sure. Um, a few things. First of all, just briefly about Mitch McConnell. I think the polls actually predicted that he would win and would win handily. Okay, so and then that whatever I saw even was even includes wrong. Um, somewhat dispiritingly the exit polls okay. actually showed, I believe, that he would win. So I, I, what I would say, though, is that all election outcomes should be verified. And mm-hmm. he did. He does have low popularity, and yet, nonetheless, the, the polls showed that he would win. Mm-hmm. So all election electronic results should be verified with robust manual audits, and that was the num- using a meaningful paper trail. That was the number one recommendation of all, virtually all, election security experts before the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. And that's what the SAFE Act would have required, and that's what the GOP killed. So of we course. essentially have unverified outcomes, and that is really not okay Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about the senate races or i think some of the house races actually you know red flags i would say we have inquiry notice on some of these it it not you don't have proof of fraud but you have enough facts to suggest that you should conduct due diligence Mm -hmm. and we should be conducting the due diligence as to all elections which is really auditing them or at least comparing the precinct results to the reported totals and we don't do that Mm -hmm. and so going forward if I were to advise the Biden administration, I would say we need to have meaningful paper trails, which is for most voters a hand-marked paper ballot, not a machine-marked paper ballot. Mm-hmm. The machine-marked ones are problematic for several reasons, including that they put your votes into a, a barcode, and the barcode is the only part counted as your vote. And perhaps even more concerningly for down-ballot races is that most voters, the studies have backed up that very few voters actually look at the 
te the human readable text beneath the barcode, which could in theory be used in a manual audit hmm. or recount. No one really verifies the text beneath it. Wow. And 90, in fact, 93% of inaccuracies went unnoticed by voters in a University of Michigan study. So if you're talking about anything below the first couple of races on the ballot, often these races, these ballots are, you know, 40 races long. And in particular, I worry about state legislative races. Mm -hmm. um, it would be very easy to delete or flip those races, just change the names and few voters would notice. Oftentimes these machine marked paper ballot printouts um, don't even put party affiliation next to somebody's name. So unless you memorize the name of who you were voting for for state legislature or the county comptroller or the treasurer or whatever, you wouldn't notice. Mm -hmm. um, so any, in any event, handmarked paper ballots plus robust manual election audits for every race at, at a minimum. Um, but I, I want to say something on the on the reliability of the paper trail, we actually have a problem with election integrity advocacy that is very similar to a problem we have with journalism, and I would call it access advocacy, just like access journalism. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the large election integrity advocacy groups that have the ear of someone like the Biden administration, mm -hmm. I don't think go far enough. And I think the reason they don't go far enough, they, don't, they aren't critical enough, in other mm -hmm. words, because they don't, they want to be able to maintain their access to election officials. So they do not call out election officials when they do stupid things like Jocelyn Benson in Michigan, for example, as far as everybody knows, left the the precinct scanners connected, you know, with the wireless modems. And she should not have done that. Wow. But because because, um, you know, large advocacy groups want to and, and even most experts that work with institutions want to maintain contact with her, they were are reticent to call it out in a very, in a vocal enough way that anybody notices. Hmm. And that's a real problem. So yeah. these touchscreen voting machines, for example, are likely to get a free ride, I think, under the Biden, even under the Biden administration, because too many of the large advocacy groups want to maintain their access to election officials and kowtow to a lot of their bad decision-making wow. in the process, so, so not call them out, not, not yeah. be vocal enough about the concerns and, so that's kind of where For we are. For fear that they will no longer have access. I think that's right. I think they, they want to be, they want to have access, which, and access is important. You mm -hmm. know, if you're as vocal as I am, many election officials are not going to want to talk to me. <laughs> but at the same time, somebody has to call them out when they're doing, yes. when, when it's bad enough, when you have election officials who won't even, not, you know, refrain from using things like modems mm -hmm. and are listening to vendors rather than experts, mm -hmm. somebody has to call them out vocally and publicly and just it's my concern a little bit though that the larger groups don't do that mm -hmm. enough and that they're the ones who are going that a biden even a biden administration will probably talk to the most wow that's really disappointing and it's it's also frightening because obviously this this nightmare that we've been enjoying for the past four years could happen again or it could be worse and you know, I mean, obviously, I want to also switch this over to Georgia, because if if Democrats cannot secure Georgia, then we're going to be dealing with Mitch McConnell all the time and, and an obstructive Senate. So it's kind of worrisome. So what are your thoughts on Georgia as far? I mean, what do you know about? Because I don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, what's going on there and how confident are you? What do you what do you see happening? Um, so the big issue that has been litigated in Georgia involved its precinct equipment. 
and that's been litigated for years since Ossoff ran the Georgia 6th District election against Karen Handel and and supposedly lost that election after a rare memory card during the prime rare memory card error during the primary. He was actually poised to win. He had over the 50% threshold to win. Mm-hmm. And then at the last second, late at night, um, there was supposedly uh, the counting stopped. And supposedly there was a rare memory card error in Fulton County. And then when it went back up, he was under the 50% threshold. And then he proceeded to lose in the runoff against Karen Handel. So now he's running. There was litigation started after that. And it was filed by Marilyn Marks at the Coalition for Good Governance. And it sought to, at the time, Georgia was using paperless touchscreen voting machines, which can't be audited at all because there's no paper to compare against the electronic total. Mm Mm-hmm. And they actually, that spawned an election challenge, which was derailed when the uh, the Georgia Election Center wiped its election server. I don't know if you remember that, but that was a few days oh. after the election okay. challenge was filed yeah. of that election. But the litigation proceeded anyway based on challenges to the voting system itself. And the court, there actually was a landmark ruling that found the old touchscreens, paperless ones, unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. But then the battle moved to what to replace them with. And so instead of going with what almost all experts recommended – which was handmarked paper ballots for most voters with touchscreens only for voters who are unable to handmark, the state of Georgia went with touchscreen, more touchscreens. Mm-hmm. And these produced those machine-marked paper records paper, that they call paper ballots that I, that I told you about. I think it's actually a misnomer to call them paper ballots, but now everybody does. Mm-hmm. They're really – it caused confusion. It basically redefined the meaning, traditional mm-hmm. meaning of paper ballot, which was a hand marked with a pen, ballpoint pen or a right. pen and paper. So they expanded it to mean something marked by a touchscreen, um, which is also easier, by the way, to produce on mass counterfeit ballots. But putting that aside, they went ahead and they did that, and there has been a pending lawsuit to not use these touchscreens ever since. And I would say, though, as far as the the upcoming election is concerned, I the, the Senate runoff, I'm less concerned about voters not reviewing the printouts because it is just one race on the ballot, and I think – Possibly you have a higher likelihood of voters at least checking for one race than you do having them read all the way down a 40, you know, 40 race yeah. to a typical ballot. So I'm a little less concerned about that, well, although not completely. Something like half of voters don't really check those printouts, apparently. Right. But wow. um, my bigger concern is that the touchscreens may break down and hope mm-hmm. conveniently, you know, in Democratic strongholds, um, you don't have to worry about handmarked paper ballots breaking down. Mm-hmm. And wow. I am worried about the in-person electronic poll book sign-in machines, mm-hmm. which are supplied by Noink. They did not have significant, at least overt, breakdowns during the general election, but they did have problems during the primaries, and it, and it really they have had really catastrophic breakdowns in the past. And I worry about that. And um, I know last I heard the GOP was trying to ban vote by mail for this election. On the bright side, it appears that they demonized, oddly enough, they demonized Brian Kemp, who's the governor of Georgia, and the the secretary of state, who are both Republicans and both vote suppressors. The Republican Party or factions of the Republican Party have actually demonized them, I think because, you know, they didn't – either didn't rig the system at all or didn't rig it enough to mm-hmm. ensure Republican victories in those Georgia races. And so it may have pushed them to be more honest. I, I don't know. The, the level of scrutiny gives me some hope that no one would dare 
cheat with the machines in this election. But I worry very much that if the Republicans win, the Democrats will not insist on robust manual audits, mm-hmm. which we should right. have, we should yeah. have an agreement in advance, frankly, yeah. to manually audit those races so well, that both sides can believe the results. We should have that agreement yes. in, in advance yeah. because we don't know which way it'll go. And yeah. if the Republicans win, you can be sure they won't care about no. getting in an audit. Well, I, just, I certainly hope that there are that, that some of these groups, I mean, I get what you're saying about access, but I mean, I certainly hope that some of these groups start screaming at Biden to to fix this or to remedy because it's it's just freaking me out because I feel like, you know, I mean, this just sounds silly or something, but I mean, I was yeah. thinking in terms of not that I was going to do it, but I desperately wanted to move to Toronto or something <laughs> if Trump were to win re-election. And so now I feel like, all right, well, we've we've secured the next four years, but and, and that's not even counting a midterm, but just secured it in that uh, the presidency. And, and I don't feel confident and secure moving forward in any election. Um, no, and I think the phrase that everyone needs to start using, in addition to hand-marked paper ballots, but it's, it's part of that, is evidence-based elections. Mm-hmm. And Professor Philip Stark at UC Berkeley coined the phrase. It means elections where it means requiring that election officials actually provide evidence that the electronic result is correct. Mm-hmm. In other words, provide evidence that there was no... Yeah. Um, well, was no hacking in effect. That is what right. you're trying to do. And the way to do that is either to public, I mean, the most obvious way would be to publicly hand count, mm-hmm. hand mark paper ballots on election night with no chain of, you know, in other words, yeah. you do it on election night at the precincts so that you don't even load the, you don't have to worry about the chain of custody with the ballots being loaded up into trucks and taken to a central mm-hmm. location. That would be the easiest way. We're, that's not going to happen anytime soon, I don't think. I wish it would. Yeah. But our ballots are really long, and it makes it difficult to do for anything beyond maybe the federal races, although we could do it for the federal races, and in my opinion, right. we should. Um, <laughs> evidence-based elections, uh, otherwise, if you're going to use machines to count ballots, which is what we currently do, you should use hand-marked paper ballots and then do the robust manual election audits that I mentioned for every race. And you have to have a, a transparent chain of custody between election night and the audit so mm-hmm. that there's a really strict accounting of who is trans you know what who is transferring the ballots from location a to location b you have to make sure that the number of ballots and the number or that the number of votes and the number of voters match mm-hmm. and if they don't there has to be and you know it has to be investigated and there has to be transparency and that is the way to increase confidence mm. so that both the winners and the losers of an election can have confidence in the outcome. And when you don't have that, as I said before this election, before the 2020 election, you can get screwed either way. You yeah. can either have you're vulnerable to having elections stolen from you by a tyrant or cheaters, mm-hmm. and you're vulnerable to having to false claims of election rigging mm-hmm. because you can't prove anything. You can't right. prove it either way. Yes. And this is really what Trump has weaponized. He's weaponizing the darkness in which our election system currently exists. Wow. And we need to eliminate that darkness. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I'm curious to know. This is my last question for you. Um, sure. As far as COVID is concerned, you know, I mean, I know that when DeJoy came in and we found out that the mail was being slowed down, we were pushing for, you know, getting your ballot in the mail. 
and then I pushed for filling it out and dropping it off only because yeah. I was afraid that the mail would be too slow. And obviously, uh, and, and not only is that such a great idea as for what you're talking about, because you do literally have paper ballots that you filled out with pen that you can track, but it, it just, you know, we don't have any holidays for voting now. It's, and it's very difficult for some people. So I'm just wondering if you think, and you know, it's just a guess, but with COVID happening and the way that we voted, both in the primaries and in the general election, do you think this is going to have an impact on voters moving forward where, you know, it was so much, like for me, I think I voted, I think it was, so, uh, it was probably early November or very late October that I, w or maybe it was like October 20th. So I got my, my ballot in the mail. I filled it out. I live in Maryland, so we're fortunate enough, A, to be a blue state, and to be also have drop boxes. So there was a drop box that wasn't far from my home. It was monitored by camera, and I went in, and I, you know, I didn't went in. It was just a drop box outside. Pulled up. Mm -hmm. Nobody was there. Nobody. I dropped in my ballot, and it was over. And the law, you know, I mean, I'm a white person living, it, I was at the time when I voted for Obama living in a blue state. So it's th I didn't experience any kind of um, suppression or anything like that. But I did have to wait in a line in 2008 to vote for Obama, probably, I don't know, 45 minutes. And at the time, I remember it, it, it was a pain in the ass because I was a suffering. Yeah, that's a long time. I mean, that's a long nothing time. like some other people have to suffer. But yes, it, it's. Yeah, it's not eight hours. It's not 10 hours. But it was drizzling and my back was out. So standing okay. in line for 45 yeah. minutes was just no fun. But, you know, the experience that I had in this election because of COVID and understanding, OK, I don't want to get sick and I just want to do it. I was able to do it fast and basically at my leisure instead of waiting to the very last minute and possibly waiting in long lines, possibly catching something. And then there are people out there who have to take time off of work. Uh, the early voting and doing it, you know, ordering your ballot beforehand was so convenient and I'm just like do you think in the future there's going to be a lot of people who go I like that better and we might see that just to guess I'm just asking yeah you to guess. yes I think there will be but what's sort of bizarre about this most election integrity advocates are not fans of vote by mail including myself typically in a typical scenario I did have concerns that something was going because I had con such concerns with the precinct equipment as it stands with some of the touch yeah. screens and with these new signing computers from very partisan vendors, um, but in particular, mm -hmm. no ink that for this election, you know, rather than using a touch screen in person, I mm -hmm. preferred vote by mail. So I actually preferred handmarked paper ballots in person. If you weren't in a voter suppression area, yeah, to vote by mail. Then if you if your only option was to use a touch screen in person, I would have I preferred vote by mail. But the thing is it worked for this I think it helped a lot for this election because it was a quick, a rather rapid change and yeah. just assuming hypothetically that there were bad actors who were planning to cheat with in person voting. Mm -hmm. Which it's actually easier if you think about it on election night to figure out how many votes you need to add. Um, right, yeah with in-person voting. Mm -hmm. I think it is harder to do that, arguably, with vote by mail mm -hmm. as it sort of dribbles out, the total yeah. sort of dribble out over a period of many days. And so, um, I don't know. I think it helps here, but I would not say, right as it stands right now, vote by mail is not easily condu conducive to evidence-based elections, hmm. as I understand it. I think there would really need to be 
hearings of some sort or an analysis conducted as to whether there is a way to make them evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are in some places like Colorado and Oregon who've done them for a long time, evidence-based. Mm-hmm. But um, as with all election systems, the devil is always in the details. And so even if there are a few states that do it well, there are probably others that don't. And, for example, the reason why I say it's not evidence-based is the chain of custody is not lit up. Even if you get some, you know, you'd have ballot tracking and it tells you that your ballot was received, number one, that's still electronic, which could be hacked, although I haven't heard a lot of people raise concerns about that for whatever reason. But a lot of places didn't have ballot tracking. The voter suppression states probably aren't going to have it. Mm-hmm. And in some places, like North Carolina, from what I understand, at least in one county, what they would do is after they would process the ballots by checking the signatures, take remove the ballots from the envelopes because the signature is on the, on the outside, and then leave the ballots sitting in a warehouse for a week the filled-in ballots, wow. when they could be, yeah. at which point they could be swapped yeah. for other ballots, or they right. could be spoiled with additional marks added to the ballots. And I think these things do happen, not necessarily on a massive scale, because that would require a massive conspiracy, mm-hmm. but they, and people getting caught, but I think that there is risk there. Mm. And we just, I, I worry a little bit that the Democrats are going to sort of knee-jerk go to vote by mail, and I'm not even saying that's the wrong thing to do, given the current other options we have with in-person voting, but I worry that we're never going to get past this partisan, um, you know, this partisan messaging for the court of public opinion by the Republican Party to tell everyone that the outcomes are of vote by mail are illegitimate. We need to be able to prove the legitimacy of those outcomes too, and to be able to prove the chain of custody at every step of the way for mail ballots. If we yeah. can, great. If we can't, that's going to be a problem. Wow. You can more easily do that with in-person voting if right. you have. You can. It's more. It's easier to do that because if you think about it, you have to send people out to collect vote by mail like every day from these drop boxes. Right. Who are those people? What are they, you know, where are they putting it? Is it just sitting around in a, in a um, post office somewhere? So I, I don't know. It's, it's really tricky. I do think it maybe saved us this election vote by mail. Right. And I don't, I think it is much harder that what I'm describing, mm-hmm. it is much harder to scale up mm-hmm. by manually faking or spoiling mail ballots than yeah. I think it is to scale up with electronic manipulation where you need just one person yeah. with access to a county tab central tabulation system and they can affect an entire county easily that way in minutes as opposed to sort of a long drawn out process of spoiling or swapping out handmarked paper ballots with in-person with mail voting wow well i don't know how it's going to go it's it's going to be we need evidence-based elections is all i know whether if vote by mail can be made to be evidence-based great if Mm -hmm. it can't be then we really need to think about that well, talking to you is absolutely fascinating, and it's also kind of alarming. <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 hope and you know, I mean, I I have my little corner in the world where I have a bit of a platform on Twitter, and that's about. And then I have the show, but mm-hmm. um, I'm more than happy to to help you if you need you know if you need amplification or something. Please feel free to reach out and ask me for that. And you know, I I I absolutely hope that some of these groups start screaming loud enough because I'll just say this uh, as we part that I was an advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment and it, it, it wasn't going anywhere. I don't know if you're familiar with the Equal Rights Amendment, but the last 
there, I, I, like all, there was 35 states that had ratified it in the 80s, mm-hmm. and it looked like it was going to ratify and go through. And then this woman named Phyllis Schlafly came along. She stopped it. And then there was a um, the, uh, Congress put a deadline, and the deadline expired. And that ex- expiration, I think, I think there were, I think there was one extension. Maybe two, but either way, there was probably one extension. So it expired. They gave it an extension and expired. So that was back in the 80s. And interestingly enough, Trump became president. And the, we were the advocates were working on what was called a three-state strategy, which was we needed those last three states. And then we also had to get rid of that expired deadline. So while Trump was president, we did manage to get those last three states. And wow, it was in part because of people who were, you know, on the ground, just dedicated ERA, I call them warriors, but they were on the ground and they were always going. And there wasn't, there was, it wasn't like there was this huge, massive group, but it was each state, you had a number of dedicated people. There was, you know, the, the states that, that were won over were Nevada and then um, Illinois and then finally Virginia. Interestingly, fi- I, I always forget the number five to seven Republican men voted for it with with the Democrats. But wow. but but the I think the point here is that it's something that was needed. And then not only that, and I'm just going to pat myself on the back here that I introduced the ERA. Somebody introduced me to the ERA. That's how it always happens. Like <laughs> I I had I had understood I understood that it was in existence. I heard about it when I was a little kid, but I didn't know the details and, and this woman um, Kamala Lopez approached me at a rally and said, "Do you think men and women are equal?" And I said, "Yes." And she's like, "No, you're wrong." And here's why. And then I, I immediately dove in. And then I was fortunate yep. enough to be in a DM group with Alyssa Milano, and I I threw it out there hoping that she would see it, and she did. And then her response was just like mine, like I'm jumping in. I'm going to make this my priority, and she absolutely did. And I do believe that her voice helped along. But the the deal is. She had Joe Biden's ear and he has the ERA on his platform now. And so I, you know, I mean, I certainly am not trying to say that, oh, if you just send me stuff, I'll be able to get it on by. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But I think that I am, I am, you know, in groups and stuff like that where we promote things. And I would be more than happy to um, amplify this so that Democrats pay uh, pay as much attention as possible. And part of what I did back in 2013 was I was writing blog posts. I'm not going to do this anymore for anything, but I was writing blog posts about the, and they were disparaging blog posts about the senators or or house reps who were not pushing or asking to remove the deadline and you know i mean i I hated doing it's like you say it's like when you you don't want to make enemies out of the people you're trying to convince but at the same time you need to put pressure on because you know i mean they're elected officials and they're paid by us so they have to feel the heat so i am Mm -hmm. more than willing to do my part just you know please feel free i can you know do what i can pass information to whoever i can and I appreciate your efforts because we need people like you making it very clear what's going on and and what the solution is, most importantly. So thank you for that. I just want to say that little spiel. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, I do want to say something. This will bring it kind of full circle. Sure. So Shapley, um, I am aware of who she She's. I think she's deceased now, right? But yes, she is. I, I'm aware that her group, the Phyllis Shapley Eagles, opposes yes. opposed the Equal Rights Amendment. Right. And But here's the thing. So... The electronic checking computers that I mentioned and mm-hmm. the vendor Noink, which is 
they have their they're checking computers in 25 states. They check voter registrations for people, and now they use them to pull up the correct ballots, hopefully, on the touchscreen voting machines, which mm-hmm. is a bizarre use for electronic poll books. But in any event, No Inc., um, its managing director is a former Republican election official from St. Louis, and its product I want to, I think it's it's product manager, I think is his title. Is uh, he, he once campaigned for Ed Martin, who is the president of the <laughs> Eagles? Wow! <laughs> so it's it's sort of a very right wing group, and their their products are in twenty five states, and that doesn't prove fraud mm-hmm. any more mm-hmm. than Dominion making a donation to the Clinton Foundation mm-hmm. proves fraud. But right. partisan connections are of course going to be disconcerting mm-hmm. to voters, and there, it certainly is disconcerting to me, especially when there's really no oversight. Yeah of these vendors and it's it's just not okay it's not okay either way right well you know again thank you for what you do thank you for uh basically educating me and my listeners it's so important that uh we get this right it really is i mean our country's at stake everything is at stake so um and and thankfully we we kind of eked through this time i i'm i am hopeful that joe biden will be inaugurated but i'm also like you said there's like until He's inaugurated. It's like, mm. so fingers crossed. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where I am, too. I'm certainly not as balled up as I was. But right, yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic is the, yes, what perfectly. lawyers always say about something, <laughs> about things like this. So, yes, yes I'm cautiously yes. optimistic. <laughs> All right. Well, With a huge knock on wood. Um, <laughs> exactly, huge. Before you go, please tell everybody where they can find you. Sure. So I post fairly regularly on Twitter at Jenny Cohn 1, J-E-N-N-Y-C-O-H-N-1. I also have a Medium account, which is linked to my Twitter profile. And um, I think those are, that's probably the best way to find me. The, the Medium link also links to many of my interviews and articles. I've oh, written perfect. a number of articles for the New York Review of Books and for Who, What, Why. Well, I will put both of those links, your handle and the Medium link, into the Patreon description of the show. And uh, you can always find me on Twitter also at Author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E. And you can find my books on Amazon under Kimberly Johnson. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, for Je- uh, thank you Jennifer, for being on. And have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too, Kimberly. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.